Good morning and Happy New Year. There's a passage in the Bible that I could never make sense of. It was a strange passage with a conflicting mix of emotions. It ended abruptly and there was no clear resolution. And so when we were going through the transition in 2019 and the COVID shutdown in 2020, and let me just remind you what happened then, we were live streaming and then we were able to come back inside we were limited to 100 people. We had to split up both in this building and in the NPR. We were masked, spaced out, no singing. And then we were outdoors. And then we came back in. Now you just imagine all that transition and change and all the mix of emotions that came with it. And you know what? I found myself coming back to this very strange passage. And I found in this passage an accurate description of where our church was and what our church was experiencing with emotions ranging from gladness to weeping, pessimism to optimism, excitement to disappointment. It was a whole wide range of emotions. And as I searched this passage further and this key description of the people of Israel in this moment in God's redemptive history, I realized I found in it a timeless takeaway and relevant word for us, Evergreen Church, in this unique season of our church. And so if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, and let's try to tackle and unpack this very unusual passage. And let's try to figure out together what this is all about. So Ezra chapter 3 beginning with verses 8 through 13. And it comes right after Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. In fact, the first six chapters of Ezra is probably written by the same author of Chronicles. And just some context, the people of Israel, they were exiled for 70 years in the land of Babylon. And yet by decree of the king of Persia, Cyrus, they were able to come back and rebuild the temple. And that's where we find ourselves in Ezra. So Ezra chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. What can we take away from this very strange and unusual passage? Well, here's the first point. Okay, first point. It is good to remember what God has done in the past. It is good to remember what God has accomplished in the past. It is good to remember God and what he did in the past. Why don't we all rise and let's read Ezra chapter 3, verse, beginning with verse 8. So let's just all rise for the reading of God's word from Ezra 3. Verse 8. Now in the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Jeshua, the son of Zozadak, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who came from the captivity to Jerusalem began the work and appointed the Levites from 20 years and older to direct the work of the house of Yahweh. Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers stood united with Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah and the sons of Henadad, with their sons and brothers, the Levites, to direct those who do the work in the house of God. 
Verse 10. So the builders laid the foundation of the temple of Yahweh. Then the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise Yahweh according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to Yahweh, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever upon Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised Yahweh, because the foundation of the house of Israel was laid. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's households the old men who had seen the first house of Yahweh were weeping with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many in loud shouts with gladness were raising their voice. You may have a seat. And let's pray. All right. Our Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would receive all glory and praise and honor that's due to your name. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us eyes to see you in this passage. Give us ears to hear your word. Please soften our hearts to receive your word. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So what an interesting passage, right? What a strange passage. It's not a clean passage. You wouldn't find it at Hobby Lobby that you can post in your, in your wall. You wouldn't even find it in a daily devotion entry. But you know what? I, I like this strange passage. I like how it's messy. You know why? Because it reflects real life. And in this passage, there's many hyperlinks for our internet generation or simply references to other parts of the Old Testament. Let's just, let's just kind of work through it here. I want you to remember that the people of Israel were exiled. Okay, they were exiled to Babylon. What does that mean? That the, the Babylonian kingdom came in to Israel, Jerusalem, and they, they conquered Jerusalem, and they actually took the people of Israel prisoner and brought them to the land of Babylon. Now, that was judgment by God for their unfaithfulness. And later on, the temple would be destroyed, the very holy site that represented God dwelling with his people. And as Pastor Rocky preached on Ezekiel several weeks ago, we saw that people struggled while in exile. You can understand, they're in a strange foreign land. They saw that the glory of God departed from the very land they were part of. The temple was destroyed, and people longed to return and come back and worship the Lord in the Holy Land. The very famous verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, which you do find in Hobby Lobby, right? It's a promise by the Lord that he would bring back the people to rebuild the temple from exile, but that was for 70 years, one entire generation. And so now in Ezra 3, the time has come. There's no more Babylonians. They were conquered by the Persians. And so in Ezra 1, we see by decree of Cyrus, king of Persia, the people of Israel could return to the land to rebuild the temple. And this is what they prayed for. This is what they hoped for. This is what they longed for. And the time has come. And so we see in verse 8, Zerubbabel, he's actually a descendant of King David. Jeshua is the high priest of the day. The Levites 
began work on the temple, you have all the ingredients here, and it resembles and it reminds us of the past. Earlier in the chapter, chapter 3, we, re- we read that they first rebuilt the temple, no, the altar, so that they could restart the sacrifices to the Lord. So they first rebuilt the altar, and then now here, they rebuilt the foundation of the temple. Now, it's not clear whether this is an entirely new foundation or a rebuilt one because, again, the temple was sacked, destroyed, and lay in ruins for all these years. And so here in Ezra 3, we have a celebration dedicating the foundation of the temple. Now, I want you to imagine this. They're not dedicating a building here. It's just the foundation. And I could imagine just a slab of concrete. I'm not sure exactly what it looked like. Maybe many stones, right? But that's what they were celebrating. That's what they were dedicating. And just as King David came with shouts of praise, if you remember when the ark returned to Jerusalem, and just as his son, King Solomon, dedicated the first temple with priests and trumpets on one side, Levites and cymbals on the altar, and they were singing in verse 10, according to the directions of King David of Israel. Verse 11, they sang, praising and giving thanks to Yahweh, saying, for he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever upon Israel. That's a very famous refrain. We find it in Psalm 100. We find it in Psalm 106, Psalm 136. It praises Yahweh, the one true God, the uncreated God who is over all other Beings who is good and his loving kindness endures forever. Now, this word loving kindness in verse 11, it's the Hebrew word chesed. All right, church family, can you say that with me? Chesed. All right, you can have that guttural Hebrew sound, chesed, or you could just say chesed. And I remember my professor in Hebrew would say, if there's one word that you could learn, it'd be this word, chesed. Why? Because this one word is a unique word that describes the covenant love of Yahweh. You see this word all throughout the Old Testament, and it describes the covenant love, the kindness, the mercy, the faithfulness of the one true God. And there's no English word that fully captures the meaning of this word chesed. And so look here, translators, they try to take two words, loving and kindness, and they just put it together. But even that falls short of the true meaning of this word. Because whenever you see and hear chesed, you think of the one true Lord, Yahweh. For he is good, and his chesed endures forever upon Israel. It is good to remember what God has done in the past. Why? For he is good. His chesed, his faithfulness, loving kindness endures forever. And it says in verse 11, they shouted with a great shout when they praised Yahweh because the foundation of the house of Yahweh was laid This is what they waited an entire generation for. Finally, the people of Israel get to enter the promises of old. And yet, here's where it gets kind of strange. Verse 12. Yet many of the priests and Levites, heads of the father's households, the old men who had seen the first house of Yahweh, 
were weeping, weeping with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes. Weeping. Weeping. Why? I thought this was a joyous celebration. I thought this was what they prayed for. Why would you weep at a time like this? And if you've ever heard weeping, you could imagine how jarring that sound is. Just imagine a person weeping and sobbing. It's just like, you're just, it's very jarring. And that it, the Bible says that they were weeping with a loud voice, no less. It certainly created a dissonance. Now here you have weeping, and then you have shouts of gladness. But again, why would some weep at a moment like this? Well, it is good to remember what God has done in the past. And these old men, they remembered, all right. They remembered all too well. See, they were there for the first temple. If you remember the first temple, when Solomon finished his prayer, that this would be a house of prayer for all nations, and he said, amen, do you remember? Fire came down from heaven, on the altar. The cloud of the Lord's glory filled the temple. You imagine a room like this, and God's glory filling this room, the temple, such that people couldn't even enter inside. And we read about this in 1 Kings 8, 2 Chronicles 7. These old men were there when that fire came down. These old men were there when the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Only now, there's no building. There's no fire. There's no cloud of glory. There wasn't even a temple building. This was just a foundation. These men remembered what God did in the past, and that is why they wept. How sad things had become. How sad. In a narrative like this, now we have to be very careful that we don't draw out application from the passage that isn't there in the original meaning. But I want you to look very closely, and it's, I think it's pretty easy to find parallels in our own experience and even in our church from this very passage. Maybe it's a certain praise song that was significant for you in your spiritual growth. Maybe it was in college or maybe when you were a youth And you can look at that song as somehow unlocking the very presence of God. Every time you hear it, oh, it takes you back. And so you go and say, we should sing that song on Sunday morning and songs like that every morning because we need to unlock the presence of God. Or maybe it's a missions project that you went on that significantly impacted your life. And you think if every person in this church went on a trip like that, went on a project like that, they'd be changed forever. Or maybe it's a specific program that drew your family to this church. And at that program, your kids were able to connect. You were able to connect with other parents. And you think right now, if only we had that program, we'd have more people in this church. Instead, we don't sing that praise song. We don't go on that missions project. 
We don't have that program anymore, and it's sad. It's just sad. And part of us realizes we can never go back to how things were. And that causes us to weep. For our church, a lot has changed. First from the transition and then from COVID. And maybe you feel frustrated because you feel like this shouldn't have happened this way. It didn't have to happen this way. People didn't have to leave. We didn't have to have all these changes. Programs didn't have to end. And the reality that our church will never be the same, just as you remembered, that causes you to get quite sad. Quite sad. And it's because you remember all the unique ways that God has been good and faithful to Evergreen. That makes you even more sad. And so for those of you here in church family feeling that way, I want you to hold on just a little bit longer and I want you to see that the Lord has a word for you from this passage this morning. So again, from verse 8 through 12, we see that it is good to remember what God has done in the past. It's good. Why? Because God is good. His loving kindness, his chesed endures forever. So it is good to remember what God has done in the past Second point, but let's not miss what God is doing now. Let's not miss how God is moving now. Let's not miss God in all of this. Let's look at verse 12 again. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's households, the old men who had seen the first house of Yahweh, were weeping with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes. While many in loud shouts with gladness were raising their voice. Now, I'm not sure if this was the battle of the bands. It feels more like the battle of voices, but you can even call it a battle of generations here. Remember, this was a celebration dedicating the foundation of the temple. These people were exiled in a foreign land for 70 years. Remember Ezekiel, how he was embittered because he was a priest and he was supposed to serve in the temple that was destroyed? So this moment in the life of Israel was hugely significant. Just imagine, we get to go back. We get to rebuild the temple. We get to set up the altar. We get to make sacrifices to the Lord again. We dedicate the foundation just like King David did with shouts of praise and trumpets and cymbals. This is awesome awesome. God is good. Truly, his loving kindness, his chesed, endures forever. But here are these old men who have to ruin this party. They're crying. It's not even their party, so they can't cry if they want to. This is our party. This is our moment. This is what we were waiting for. And so you notice in verse 12, the old men were weeping with a loud voice, but what happened? Loud shouts with gladness were raising their voice. The battle of voices and generations here. And it's such an interesting moment. A collision of emotions, a collision of generations. 
Sure, maybe it seemed absurd to be celebrating not even a building, but just a foundation. Sure, this paled in comparison to the good old days, fire from heaven, glory of the Lord filling the temple. Sure, this was nothing like the old days, the good old days. But for this generation, this was hugely significant. God was fulfilling promises they only read about. Now they get to experience firsthand God and what he was doing. And they were going to shout with gladness and raise their voices. Could it be that the old men remembered what God did too well? Could it be possible that they held on so tightly to how God met them in the past that they missed what God was doing now? You know, it's interesting in Jesus' parable about new wine and new wineskin in Luke 5, Jesus points out that nobody who has tasted the old wine wants to taste anything new. Why? Because he thinks that the old wine is good enough. Isn't that interesting? Nobody who's tasted the old wine wants to taste anything new because he thinks that the old wine is good enough. And you wonder whether that is what is happening in this passage. And so it's, there's nothing wrong with listening to that praise song. Maybe it was a Rich Mullins song and you remember how God met you in college when you first heard Hold Me Jesus and that song still brings you back. Every time you hear it, every time you sing it. But there's a problem when we subsequently go on a crusade campaigning for those songs to be sung on Sunday and songs just like that. God is good, but he's not tied to any particular praise song. And it's good that you have fond memories of that program at Evergreen. It's the reason why you came to this church. It helped your kids get connected. It connected you with other parents. It gave you lifelong friends. Praise God. But just because we don't have that program anymore doesn't mean that the glory of God departed from this church. God is good, but he's not tied to any program. You see, this scene, this moment when gladness meets weeping, voices competing against each other, it really reminds me of a moment in our church. What really captures it is the COVID shutdown, for me at least. Let me just bring you back a little bit. We shut down in March of 2020 and just live streamed. And then we were allowed to come back, I think it was in May, but we were just limited to 100 people. So we had to split up in this building and in the NPR. We were mass-based, no singing. And then that got shut down. And I remember Pastor Rocky saying, let's go outdoors. We can live stream, but let's do an outdoor service. And that was a, a controversial move. You know, we were still in protocol, but it seemed a little risky, right? But I remember that first outdoor service. If you can imagine, just behind that back wall there. That first Sunday, we had about 30 people. There was no amplification. 
I led the praise just on a guitar. There were no lyrics. I had to call out the song. And it was so good just to gather. It was so good just to sing together. Since there was no amplification, Pastor Rocky, he was projecting his voice so much. We were concerned he, was looted, he would lose his voice for the live stream. But you know what? I cherish that moment forever. It was such a special moment. But if somebody who had seen our church before could look at a snapshot of that outdoor service, you know what they would think? This is so sad. 30 people? Just singing? But if you were there, it was so exciting. It was so exciting. We were so happy. God was good and he was doing something special, unique and different than what we were used to. Well, the outdoor service gradually grew. Eventually, we live-streamed the outdoor service. Finally, we were able to come back inside. Now, for people who had been home for over a year and they came back to that first indoor service, again, how did they feel? They probably felt or thought, Where's all the people? Where's the drums? Where's the children's programs? But for those who were there for that first outdoor service, this was amazing. We finally were able to come back. This is what we prayed for. This is what we hoped for. This is what we longed for. And we get to be back together inside. And, and just like it's such an interesting mix of emotions here, I remember being outside and people would lament to me about all that we had lost at our church. Meanwhile, children were running all throughout campus and laughing. And so you can imagine, here I'm trying to attend to a person who's really struggling with all the changes, and I hear all these kids running around and having the time of their life. Gladness, weeping, It is good to remember what God has done in the past, but let's not miss what God is doing now. Final point, all to the praise of his glory. All praise and glory to God. Give him all praise and glory no matter how you feel. Let's look at verse 13. So that the people could not distinguish the voices of the shouting of gladness from the voices of the weeping of the people. For the people were shouting with a loud shout, and those voices were heard far away. These voices were so loud and formed an interesting mix of gladness and weeping that they reached people in the land far away. People heard. People noticed. So it's good to remember that these voices were all in response to God in praise. Whether weeping or shouts of gladness, people were responding to God. They were responding to him in praise. And the Bible, let me just be clear here, the Bible is not clear who's right here. The Bible's not saying the old men were right for, to weep. The Bible's not saying the, the young men were, were right to be shouting Shouts of gladness. It's not clear who's right or wrong here. But you know what's clear? God 
gets the glory and he receives the praise. And his praise goes out throughout the land. God inhabits the praise of his people even here in a strange mix of gladness and weeping. His praise is his great witness among the peoples of the land. Remember, a house of prayer for all nations. God received the glory in the weeping and the shouts of gladness. The people in the land, the nations, they heard and they noticed. And so just from this passage, you, you know, as, as we try to reach this community, we just go beyond these walls and the, and the neighborhood and the surrounding area. From this passage, one has to wonder whether we should just start as simply as starting on fixing our hearts on the Lord and praising him with everything we've got. And let's just start there, knowing that that will be a great witness to this community. So the main takeaway here is whether we mourn in response to what God has done in the past or we rejoice in excitement for what God is doing now, let's all give him praise for he is good. His loving kindness, his chesed, endures forever. It's not about being sad. It's not about being happy. It's about praising the Lord, giving thanks to him, whatever we're feeling. Because this is not our moment past. This is not our moment now. This moment belongs to God. So let's praise him and give thanks. The church will always be an interesting mix, right? A mix of generations for those who experienced God in the past, very uniquely, and those who have come now to experience the unique way God is working now. It's a mix of those who remember and say, you have to be there. And those who are pointing out, look what God is doing now. And just as we need the old generation to remind us of God's goodness and faithfulness in the past, we need the current generation to point out what God is doing now. So that the result would be that God gets all the glory, all the praise and honor that's due to his name. Amen? Amen. So in conclusion, it is good to remember what God has done in the past, but let's not miss what God is doing now, all to the praise of his glory. And as an epilogue, in case you're wondering what happened after this passage, here's the epilogue, particularly regarding the parties that were involved. What happened to the old man? What happened to this young generation? What happened to all these emotions of gladness and weeping? Well, for the old men, fire never came down again. The cloud of God's glory never filled the temple again like it did that first temple. The old man could have very well stayed sad and wept for the rest of their lives. Well, what happened to the young generation? Well, you know how they were shouting and it was, it was a battle of voices and people in the land heard? Well, in chapter 4, those people in the land who heard, they report that to the king and they shut down the rebuild for 10 years. Party ended, right? And even when the temple was eventually rebuilt, it was never as great or grand as that first temple. And that second temple would later be destroyed by the Romans after Jesus' death. 
So the young men who shouted with gladness and excitement, they would have little to shout about for the rest of their lives. The party ended, passed, it's over. So be careful whether you are weeping or shouting for gladness. Everybody had to be careful that they did not miss what God was doing because things would not turn out how they expected or hoped for. For though they had the temple, they missed the king born in a manger who tabernacled, okay, was a true temple, tabernacled among us and would one day, as Sister Hilda read, overturn tables as a demonstration against the temple system. And I want you to think for a moment, why did Jesus go crazy at the temple? Could it be that he was trying to get their eyes off of the temple and onto him? And I want you to think too, because we just came off of Christmas, why is it that so many times we go through Christmas and we feel like we miss something? Well, the saddest thing is if we go through Christmas and we miss Jesus. You know, all the celebrations and hoopla and you miss Jesus. Because these people, they had the temple and they missed the king. And even this king would be killed and yet resurrected on the third day as a true temple. Remember, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I, I will raise it, just as he predicted. Jesus said it would be better that he leave so that he could send the Holy Spirit to dwell in his people now as temples of the living God. You see, if you, could, if you were so fixated on a building, you would miss all of this in how God was working in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus returns, heaven comes down to earth. There will be no need for a temple, no need for a building, for God himself will dwell with his people. And every knee will bow down, every tongue confess to the praise of his glory, the lamb who was slain. Amen. See, if your experience with God was tied to a specific building, a specific program, a specific way and experience, you're going to not only be disappointed in mourning, but you will miss the Lord entirely in the coming of Jesus. But if you had eyes to see and your heart was set on praising the Lord, whatever the season, you would find in this infant child on Christmas morning the promised Messiah King, the Deliverer, Emmanuel, God with us, and you would worship him forever. So for those of you who are not sure where you stand with the Lord, will you place your hope in a building, a program, or even a feeling? Are you chasing a feeling? Are you placing hope in people? Be careful because you will not only be disappointed, you might miss the Lord entirely and be separated from him for all eternity in punishment. Or will you place your hope in the Lord Jesus and cherish and worship him forever, knowing that nothing will ever separate you from the love of Christ demonstrated on the cross, his very chesed, his faithfulness, his mercy. Nothing will separate you from that, not life, nor death, nor power, nor principality, even if God in his loving kindness would tear away everything in your life, you would still have Christ and his love. Do you believe that? And do you believe that he died on your behalf so that you might live and stand in his place forever? 
Do you have eyes to see the Lord, Jesus? And will you give him all praise and glory? For those who are in Christ and the church family, I appeal to you, can you remember God's goodness in the past? And yet, do you have eyes to see what he is doing now? All the while longing for what he will do when he returns, giving him all praise and glory? Do you have eyes to see God in Jesus? Will you give him praise and thanks for his goodness, his chesed, his loving kindness forever? Will you praise him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this precious passage. And we thank you that maybe for many of us it reflects how we're feeling at this moment. And we pray that you would turn our eyes and hearts to you, Jesus, and give you all praise and glory no matter what we're feeling. And Jesus, I pray that you would loosen our hold on anything that is not of you, that you might even take it away and overturn that table so that we can fix our eyes on you, so that we can worship you and you alone. I pray that for our church family, especially those who are struggling with all the changes, transitions, please direct their hearts and eyes to you, Jesus, as their hope of glory. For those of us who are rejoicing in excitement, help us not to place our hope in how things will turn out. We will be disappointed. Help us to place our hope ultimately in you, Jesus. And may we long for your second coming, just as you came on that Christmas morning. Help us to long for your coming again, where you will make all sad things come untrue. And there'll be no more sin or weeping or pain or sadness. Help us to long for that day, Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.